how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Originally, Jessica Scharzer immersed herself in Russian studies. While in school, she transferred to film and essentially went to graduate school twice. Fascinated by the original tragedies, she now carries this mindset into her new works. Known for American Horror Story, Nerve, A Simple Favor, and Apple's Amazing Stories, she loves to focus on genre. Essentially, she believes when writing genre, it's not like starting a blank page because there are guidelines to follow. In her latest work, she was assigned The Cellar, which was an idea from Steven Spielberg that premiered as the first episode of Apple's Amazing Stories reboot. The episode stars Dylan O'Brien from The Maze Runner and Victoria Pedretti from The Haunting of Hill House. In this interview, Scharzer discusses how to reflect the times rather than preach social issues, why writers need to write quickly, how she feels about Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule, and she addresses the rumors about a simple favor turning into a limited series. You can also look for this interview in print form on the Creative Screenwriting website. I did not major in film in college, um, and then I went to graduate school for Russian literature. And while I was there, I got really interested in film, and I decided to apply to film school. So I ended up basically doing graduate school twice. I did Russian literature, and then I switched to film, and I went to NYU Film School. Um, I finished in 2002, and I moved out to Hollywood and, and started working right away as a writer-director. And then over time, I became more of just a writer. Um, and now I'm trying, after all these years, to get back to directing, which I haven't done in 15 years. But I'm actually really interested to get back to it uh, now that my children are older. What was the initial interest in Russian literature? Was that kind of into the tragedies? Or what, what did you kind of maybe learn that you still carry with you today? Well, um, first of all, I think it's kind of the greatest literature ever written. And um, 
I, I got I started studying Russian in high school and then I placed out of first year Russian in college. So that that was pretty cool. And then it just grew over time. I ended up spending some time in Moscow while I was in college and I just got really interested in, you know, really diving, taking a deep dive into a foreign language and a foreign literature and being able to read the literature in the original, which was always the goal. And it was it was hard. You know, it took me many, many years to have enough of a grasp of the language to be able to read in the original language. Um, but my my ancestors are all from that part of the world. Nobody in my family really speaks Russian anymore, but my great-grandparents are from Russia and the Ukraine and Romania and Poland. So that part of the world felt very familiar to me in some kind of way that was hard to even explain. It's interesting how different languages, there's some words that don't translate or don't translate the same and how they kind of teach you those different values. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Is there something like across your work that kind of unifies everything? If we're talking about American horror story and nerve and simple favor, like what's kind of maybe a connection there? Well, one connection I would say is they're all genre. So whether it's horror or thriller, um, there, those are all sort of examples of genre, which, you know, the thing that for a writer is, that's very comforting about genre is it has certain expectations and rules. And so um, it's not just like you're writing on a blank page and writing in a void, because for horror, you know, you have certain expectations coming from the audience that you're going to be playing into. And the same thing with thriller. I also write mystery you know, thrillers. Um, and again, you're really um, playing with expectations, but also trying to subvert where the audience might think it's going um, and trying to surprise them within the context of that genre. So I actually enjoy those kind of games. What kind of um, maybe social impact do you also put in some of your work? Like if you'll notice with Nerve and even uh, The Seller for Amazing Stories, there's kind of a, a, at least a take on the way we use social media and our obsession and that kind of thing. Right. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the job of art to preach or to um, teach people lessons. But I do think that, you know, I I always try to sort of reflect our times and even if it's something that's not of the moment. So even if it's a period piece, I mean, you want uh, the lens to be revealing something about who we are now. And so for me, what was fun about the seller was really looking back at a time where women didn't enjoy the kind of um, freedoms and upward mobility that they we have now. And, you know, it's not that long ago. I mean, it's really, that was a hundred years earlier, but, the, but the, the sort of choices for women were so limited. And so that for me was a really interesting way to talk about ways we may still be limited as women, you know, especially in the film industry, as you probably know, you know, there, there's a very small proportion of directors who are women. Um, and so, and we're fighting for more of a 50-50 landscape in directing, for example, but we're a long way away from that. And so when you look at that and you look at where we were 100 years ago, there's a direct line um, between those two things. So 
I'm very interested in that, but I also don't want to kind of like, you know, stuff a message down anyone's throat. I don't want it to feel like medicine. I think first and foremost, whatever you make, TV or movies, it has to be entertaining. And then if it can have some kind of social, you know, message or social commentary built into it that feels organic to the material, I'm all for it. But I don't start there. I'll put some like spoiler warnings in if we give too much away about uh, about the seller, but um, it, it certainly ends with a very optimistic view for women going forward into the future. Yeah, we really wrestled with the ending in the writer's room, actually. We, we kind of tried out a whole bunch of different endings. And the hardest part with any kind of love story is not making it utterly predictable. Um, so, you know, that, that was a real struggle. And I just wrote a romantic comedy for Universal, and it's the same thing. You know the two people have to get together based on the genre. But the question is, how can you do it in a way that feels surprising um, and that feels like it really came from character development rather than from just the machinations of the plot. Um, so that, that was something we really, we really wrestled with and argued about pretty passionately in the writer's room. And what ends up coming out is how, what people really believe about love. You know, I was sort of in a more cynical place about love when I was writing it, but there were people in the room who were in a very optimistic place. And, you know, those, those values and those beliefs end up coming out in the writer's room. Well, so it sounds like was your side kind of promoting the idea of uh, these main characters are kind of more career focused, I guess you'd say at the end of it, or creative outlet or, or whatever you want to call it. To me, it was more about both of them finding their place in the world um, and, and less about career specifically, although that definitely is part of it. But it was actually deeper than that. It was about, you know, feeling not at home in your own life. And I think both of the characters, that was what they had in common, was that both of them were a little bit lost and a little bit um, trapped in their current state of being. And they bonded with each other and they fell in love and they were both able to give each other this gift of a new life in a kind of unexpected way. So what does, um, how did this kind of come about? We know that there was an amazing stories in the past and Spielberg's involved with both series. How did you kind of get involved? What prompts were you given before you kind of came on to this particular episode? I had the great fortune of this being actually Spielberg's idea, this this particular episode. Um, and I think mine was the only episode that came directly from him. So this had been an idea he had been kicking around, um, I think, uh, back when the original Amazing Stories uh, was made in the 80s. And... Um, so I was I was very lucky to get to work on an original idea of his, and it was just by assignment. I didn't choose it. I didn't ask for it. It was, you know, the way that the episodes played out in terms of the writer's room. And that was, uh, that was a really great gift because, to be honest, I don't know that I would have come up with anything like this on my own. It just it, it was very different from the kind of things I, I tend to write. Um, it had much more sort of innocence and uh, romanticism about it. But 
the great thing about being a TV writer is that you get to try on somebody else's ideas and work through somebody else's voice rather than your own. And um, so being able to kind of get inside Spielberg's head for a little while and try to figure out what he wanted out of that idea was really a very exciting opportunity. Are there limitations like uh, with streaming now, and this is for Apple, um, everything feels a little bit like you can do whatever you want and you can, but was this kind of meant for younger people or all people or how was it viewed as far as the audience? Well, we definitely were aiming it toward a, what you would call a four quadrant audience, meaning that families could watch it together. So we did stay away from any kind of graphic sexuality or violence or language by design. We did not want this to be a show that, you know, kids couldn't see, Um, you know, because the original Amazing Stories was so beloved by younger people and people in my generation grew up on that show when they were teens and tweens. And we wanted that audience, you know, again, for the new Amazing Stories. Do you remember the initial pitch? Like, was it just that uh, two people meet 100 years apart or because of a a house or weather? Or what was kind of the original idea that Spielberg gave you? That was pretty much it. What you just said, it was pretty brief. I, I, you know, I got a few sentences um, that said, you know, a boy is um, stuck in this old house and there's a storm And uh, it was called The Cellar, and that this anomaly, this weather anomaly, was what was responsible for him being able to travel back 100 years. So that was what was given. Um, That was all established. And then we we built from there. Um, And so her entire backstory we invented. And even his backstory and his brother, those were all characters we added um, in our development of the idea. Was there any parameters from Apple? Like, I mean, uh, when people watch TV, they notice when brands are purposely hidden, but also when they're used. Like we see the Apple phone and and some of the apps around the weather. Was any of that, uh, was it just like, if you're going to use it, use Apple? Or what did they ask you to use that? Or how did that kind of work? They definitely did not ask us to use it. And if anything, they want to downplay the feeling that you're watching an infomercial. So uh, we were, if anything, we were asked to sort of minimize the use of technology, um, but we were never asked to include it ever. What, were there any other parameters or what's kind of your, uh, based on this project, what's it like working with Apple? They've got a really unique position of notice where, you know, networks like AMC and then also streaming platforms kind of do one at a time. And they came out with so many shows and movies at once. They're really just going across the board. What have you kind of noticed working with Apple? I mean, they're a new company and, um, you know, it's a really exciting place to work. And they obviously have a huge appetite for wanting to do really cutting edge, interesting, varied programming. So, Um, I thought it was a great place to work. I'm currently overseeing a project that's being developed in their international division um, that's a really exciting Asian-set epic, um, and that's been really fun. So I I think that they are very – I mean, I think they're formidable and that they're they're really trying to develop interesting material.
Have you noticed any major changes? You've kind of moved from working on American Horror Story to shows like this, like not just uh, FX to Apple, but like besides being flexible, what else would you give as far as career longevity in, in television and screenwriting? I mean, I think being able to take notes is critical as a writer in Hollywood, whether especially if you're a TV writer, but also if you're a film writer. I think being able to really adapt to the team around you, whether that's the producers, the director, the executives, it is a group effort, even if you are the only one with your name on the cover page. Um, and it is a lot of money at stake for everyone involved. So I think if you approach it as if your word is the final word and you're the only expert on the material, I think you'll have a very short-lived career in Hollywood. But I pride myself on being able to hear the notes. And even if the notes aren't exactly targeting the problem, you, we have an expression, the note behind the note, you know, that's what you're listening for. And so I really uh, take that very seriously as a writer. I think that's part of being successful. Um, I want people, even if a project doesn't work out at the end of it, I want people to say, you know, she tried really hard and she took all of our notes and she really did her best. That's what I want us all to walk away with at the bare minimum. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is I think being able to move quickly. I think a lot of newer writers that I work with, they'll take two years to write a screenplay. And if you're going to be a professional writer, no one's ever going to give you two years to write anything. So you have to learn how to discipline yourself to sit down like it's a real job, whether you're inspired or not, and to turn out material. And, um, you know, even when I'm working from home, I get up, I shower, you know, I try not to work from home if possible, but in these strange times, we're all working from home, and I still treat it like a job, and I think that's very important as well. You mentioned kind of uh, some of the conversations about how to make this a relationship on the show. When do you know kind of how to stand your ground, or is there like a North Star? You know, you're fighting for the story, but what is it that helps you win some of those debates or feel confident in going forward with the, your opinion? Well, what I always remind myself is if I'm working for a showrunner, if I'm not the showrunner, and um, then it's their show, and you are there as a soldier in somebody else's army, and you are there to execute their vision. And even if you think your vision is better, that is not your job. No one has hired you to come in with a better version of the show. What, what you've been hired to do is to make the life of the showrunner better and easier. And so that is how I approach it. And the same thing with movies. If I write a movie, once the director comes on, you are there at the service and the pleasure of the director. And the minute that they're not happy with you anymore, they will replace you. So um, it becomes the director's movie the minute that they're hired. And that is hard for writers to accept. I mean, it's definitely hard for me to accept because... I want to still be part of the process, but it really, at the end of the day, there has to be one person to say yes or no, red or blue, you know, to make all the decisions, and that is really the director's job. So, again, I just remind myself, especially when I get notes I don't agree with, that 
it's really the director's movie at this point. So you mentioned a lot of great, like, logical points that kind of separate those who have this as a fantasy or romantic idea of taking two years for a story. But how do you kind of write well quickly? Do you just see it as, like, you write every day? It's kind of compound interest over time. Like, how do you um, just develop those skills? Well, that that Malcolm Gladwell, um, you know, number of 10,000 hours to get good at something, I actually think there's a lot of truth to that. So the quicker you can log your 10,000 hours, the better. I mean, if you really genuinely want to be a writer, you're sitting down and trying to write something six to eight hours a day. And for me, when I get stuck, I'll give myself sort of creative exercises. I'll give myself a five-minute free writing exercise just to kind of touch back in with my creative self or with some bit of inspiration for a project. Um I won't just let let myself off the hook. And I think that um, if you give yourself deadlines, right? So if even if it's I have a full-time job so I can only write 10 pages a week. All right, well, 10 pages a week means in three months you're done with a script. So that's that would be fast, actually. If it's five pages a week, all right, you're done in six months. But I would give myself that hard deadline where – I make sure that I'm logging those pages, and if I miss a week, then I owe those pages the next week. So you have to take it seriously as if someone's paying you, even if they're not, because if you hope to get paid one day for your writing, then you need to learn how to develop. And it took me years, by the way, to to develop this kind of discipline. It was not an overnight thing at all. But over time, I learned how to really commit to deadlines and expectations and pivoting when somebody's not happy with my work. Um, And I've had people throw out entire drafts of what I've written and said, start over. So, you know, there's been extreme cases of having to really regroup and start again. And you have to be willing to do that if that's what's being asked. How, how does one do that without getting too specific? Like if you've written something, do you just change the character's point of view? Like how do you really start from scratch with something like that? Or if it's an example you can think of. You know, I sort of learned this trick um, of thinking about the opposite. Um, like what is the opposite of what you've done? And, and if you started the character in the exact opposite position. So, for example, if... Um, the character gets, you know, everything they want by the midpoint. Well, what's the opposite of that? And what would it do to the story if they lost everything at the midpoint? And sometimes it may not be exactly right, but sometimes it unlocks the story. If you swing all the pendulum all the way in the other direction, just to open up your mind to other possibilities. Um, So I think that's one, one sort of trick. Um, And I'm not afraid to throw things away. I feel that the writing phase is the cheapest phase of any film or TV show. So the writing phase, if you throw away a script and you start over, you haven't, I mean, aside from time that you've spent on it, you haven't really cost the production anything. You know, it's a pad of paper is essentially the cost of of changing your mind at that stage. So it is the easiest and cheapest place in the process to make changes. Once you get into production, it becomes harder and harder 
to make changes. And by the time you get in the editing room, you are limited to the footage you have. And if you're lucky enough to do reshoots, those reshoots have to be extremely targeted as to what problem you're trying to fix. You know, you can't just reshoot the whole movie or the whole, the whole episode. So, you know, it, it's about trying to really identify what the problem is and trying to fix it in the most surgical way. If someone is, is kind of just starting, let's say they're in their, their first thousand of 10,000 hours, would you recommend that they just start with what they like? Should they write TV over movies these days or any, any type of general advice like that? Well, one, one piece of advice I teach at USC, and this is one piece of advice I give my students, which is that picture you, yourself in your dream job three to five years from now and then work backwards. So, for example, if my dream job is to write a network procedural TV show, right, then writing a romantic comedy movie may not be the right first step on that road. I mean, I would start thinking, okay, then I'm going to write a TV pilot um, rather than a movie. And I'm going to write a procedural TV pilot and try to come up with a really fresh take on an old format, you know, because there's so many procedurals on TV but I'm going to come up with a really fresh concept to put on top of my procedural. Um, so I, I start with the dream job and work backwards. That's one thing. Um, I also recommend to my students, start with what you love. Because, you know, trying to predict where the market is going to go is a fool's errand. Um, it never works. You're always behind. You know, whatever the trend is now, a year from now, by the time you finish your script, the trend's going to be something else. So trying to work in that way where you're trying to second-guess the market, I, I don't believe in that at all. I don't think it ever works. Um, so you might as well write what you love. So what I start with with my students is I have them list their favorite TV shows, their favorite movies, their favorite books, and then look at those lists and see what those things have in common. Is there a common genre? Is there a common character? Is every story about an underdog? Is every story an ensemble rather than a single lead? Um, those are the kind of questions that I would ask myself before I start writing anything. It's like, what do I actually love and care about? What do I actually watch on TV? And how do I write something that would fit on the same, you know, on the same Netflix row as those shows. There's so many shows and movies just getting expanded, like the Jason Bourne series has moved to Treadstone after four or five movies. A, sto a story like uh, A Simple Favor, it comes from a novel, and you, as you kind of mentioned, you passed it off to Paul Feig to direct it. Do you feel like something like that, like if you were given that, we want 10 episodes versus a two-hour movie, do you feel like you could make it work either way? Do you feel like confident in um, like whatever they're asking you to do, I guess is my question. I mean, it's funny you mention that because uh, we've been approached about adapting it for TV, and, you know, I, I'm open to it. I'm also a little bit um, on the fence about it because it had a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, I, I, I think as a limited series, I think I could have adapted it. It would have required a lot more story than what's in that two-hour movie. Um, but as an ongoing series, you know, it, it raises a lot of questions about, is it a case of, of the season that she's trying to solve? Is, is anything ever going to be as personal as 
that first story. Um, so, I mean, I think I could have done it, but I definitely have held back on adapting it for TV because I have some concerns about having enough story. You mentioned that you're a teacher. Is is there anything uh, you've kind of learned from your students or anything creative-wise that kind of sparks some ideas in your work? Well, part of the reason I love teaching is because I get to review for myself as I'm explaining it to them all of the basics. And the fact is, as a writer, you're always wrestling with the same set of tools. It doesn't change as you move forward in your career. It's all the same stuff. And so for me to review dramatic structure and the structure of a screenplay versus a TV pilot and how to break a TV show into, you know, act breaks, all of those exercises that I do with them are also for me to review all of that and to answer their questions. And they always have such great questions. It helps me remind myself what really matters. And actually, it makes my own writing better. So, and I, I always have such bright, uh, diverse students in my class that I, I learn so much from them. I'm sure I learn more from them than they learn from me. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again. Thanks again.